In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You might have noticed in last Sunday's bulletin an explanation of my absence this past week. I was in Chicago from Sunday till Friday. Every summer, I get together with seminary classmates who gather for a week to study. We bring in a professor to lecture to us, and we just enjoy the edification of each other's company. When you're, when you're with priests like Father Sellen and Father Scalia for a week, it's definitely time well spent. Usually at the end of that week, I spend extra time in Chicago to visit college friends. And so it was Friday that I was walking around downtown. It was a hot day. And much to my dismay, the, the scene on Michigan Avenue is quite a bit different from, um, from my day. Uh, and not just the architecture, but on every street corner, at least two, if not three, sometimes every corner, all four corners, had someone camped out begging for help. And that goes on for a mile. It's paralyzing. For a priest, it presents a problem because then there's no street corner, there's no opposite side for me to go cross over to, right, to avoid people. You might think that I'm at a disadvantage, that people have more expectations of me, that the standard is higher. Believe it or not, it's it's quite remarkable. I'm not sure um, that a priest will ever get used to it, but to, to see a homeless person, or even not a homeless person, but just a beggar, and to, and to make eye contact and to smile and to say good morning and to say God bless you, A, takes you some courage, because I don't have cash to help everyone on the street. And to see the response, to hear the reply, thank you, Father, God bless you, Father, pray for me, Father. And some of them are still shouting at me. I'm halfway down the block, and they're still saying, God bless you, Father, thank you, Father. And I haven't, I feel like I haven't done anything. Part of it is what any human being can do, which is simply to look someone in the eye, to treat them with respect, and to give them an experience of being a human being. But part of it's mystical. Part of it is what happens by virtue of being joined to Christ and touching another human being, which all of us can do as well. We experience that um, to our sadness. We also experience it in joy. St. Paul describes this in many different ways. And one image that he uses, we heard today in the second reading, which is describing Christ as head, as head of the church. When we first hear this image, we think of Christ being described as the one who rules us, the one who teaches us, the one who will judge us. As we hear this image played out in the writings of St. Paul and Colossians and Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, we get some of that. In Ephesians 1, he describes the church like this. Blessed be God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We also hear in the writings of St. Paul, Christ described as head, which explains from whom we derive life. We are knit together as his body. We have life because of him. We are connected to him. Describing Christ as the head in this doesn't separate him from us, but, but emphasizes how we are joined to him. In Ephesians chapter 4, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every joint with which it is supplied, when each part is working properly, makes bodily growth and upbuilds itself in love. And then we see this taken to another level. Not only are we knit together as a body and joined to Christ, from whom we have eternal life, and through whom God the Father created us out of nothing, but we hear also ourselves being described as the body of Christ to explain how much he loves us how he cares for us. This comes across most especially in Ephesians chapter 5, in addressing husbands and their duties in marriage. St. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And then by virtue of this connection, by virtue of our being joined to Christ, Christ sanctifying us, making us worthy to be called his body, being joined inseparately, inseparably from Christ. Because separated from him, we experience only death. We also have a connection with each other. This comes across in 1 Corinthians 12. The body does not consist of one member, but of many. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body, which seem to be weaker, are indispensable. And those parts of the body which we think less honorable, we invest with the greater honor, that there be no discord in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. I think this is part of what's happening in the background as we experience so many tragedies over the last few days and the last few weeks. It's one thing as a human being as a creature, that we hear about bad things happening to other people and we, we, we are upset by it or even 
angered by it. We identify with each other. As much as we irrationally identify with people who happen to have our same birthday or our same first name, we rationally identify with other members of the species. That's one of me. If that could be happening to that person, that could be happening to me. I care about what happens to that person more than I care about what happens to other created things. But on a far deeper level, we experience sadness. We know each person to be created in the image and likeness of God with the potential to become an adopted son, an adopted daughter of Christ, and incorporated into the body, which is the church. And so we're... When someone suffers, we suffer. It's, it's beyond rational. We're not thinking about it. Sometimes it has to happen to such a degree that we're not even analyzing it anymore. Hundreds of people blown up in Baghdad or so many shootings in this country this past week. When it's not a particular instance that we analyze in detail, but when it's simple, simply the, the quantity of human suffering, it afflicts us. We're saddened by it. And this happens not only just because of physical suffering, but because of our bond with Christ and therefore our bond with all the baptized. We experience evil as an even greater tragedy. When we hear someone blaspheming Christ, when we, peace, when we see people reveling in their sins, when we hear people attacking the church or attacking those shepherds who are faithfully teaching the church and teaching the faith, like the Archbishop of Philadelphia this week and his counterpart in civil office. When we, when we hear about people who turn away from the sacraments, who don't believe anymore, we, we, we suffer. But by the same token, this connection with each other means that wherever there is good, wherever there is virtue, we rejoice. There are little instances of, of goodness and of beauty in the world that remind us of the world's creator. But even more amazing are those acts of real virtue. when we see someone acting heroically, when we hear someone manifest the beauty of God, in art or in song especially, when we simply see someone and we know that they are fulfilling their vocation, just to see them inspires us. And all of this collected together results in our worshiping with each other, praying with each other, praying for each other, and finds its culmination in how St. Paul enjoins us whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is virtuous, think about these things. We don't meditate on evil. We go out of our way to meditate on what's good. 
not just because it's a more pleasant thought, but because these things are more real and more permanent than the evil that happens to afflict us at the moment. And we turn then to the eternal. We turn then to contemplate Christ in heaven, the Father and the Holy Spirit. We marvel then at Christ calling us his body. He is our head. He sanctifies us. He redeems us. He joins us to himself. He leads us in prayer. He makes us part of his acceptable offering to God the Father. We pray then for the courage to love others so much that we suffer when they suffer. Not to be content in our own pleasure, but always to have a heart big enough that others' pain and suffering becomes our own. And still even greater a heart with greater faith and greater hope to identify with Christ and to rejoice always in his glory, in his saving sacrifice, and in the hope of eternal life for all those who are faithful to him. We see in this one moment all the evil and all suffering conquered and all hope and all promise become ours. Just to see Christ, just to look at him, is to be healed by him, is to be made whole. And that consolation that we receive from Christ is then the consolation that we offer others, and we will feel like we have done nothing for them. But if we are open to God's grace and are the means for him to touch others, it will be everything. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.